we got that upgrade. And we are, we are, we are rolling. We have on my my good friend, fucking Brian Cushing, brother in fucking iron. Uh, uh, this this motherfucker needs no introduction from a slapdick D three guinea like me. So we give it to you, Brian Cushing, bro. We are so happy to have you on. Um, you're the fucking man. You're when people think intense fucking linebackers that are just hey, absolute savages. It's 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 this guy. Appreciate you guys, man. I uh, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm I'm more than happy to be here. Hell yeah, bro. All right, okay. so Brooker, let's let's start off with these questions right right off the bat. Um, first, we have we have the Instagram questions that we got from guys. First things first, what was your diet like? Because everyone, like I said, everyone knows you as the intense linebacker, but yeah. jacked as a motherfucker. <laughs> right? Like, what was your diet like? Um, playing, I was always, you know, pretty, pretty conscious about exactly uh, what I wanted to eat, um, what weight I wanted to kind of stay around. And uh, I worked with our good friend, Tom Bolella in, in Red Bank, New Jersey, all throughout my career. Um, and he was awesome. He just, he helped me out a lot. And, and, it was more of just kind of structuring our days. Was I, was it a game day? Was it a normal training session? When did I eat around practice? What did an off day look like? So every single day was different. Um, and it was tailored to exactly what I needed and what the week kind of looked like. So, you know, I wasn't just blindly eating. Um, I was always trying to stay in kind of like a ballpark number of calories, but it always varied uh, as far as what was needed of me from that day. Do you, do you naturally gain weight easily? So did you have to watch what you were eating or did you have to eat a lot? Yes. Uh, as Mike would probably attest to, there was some off seasons. I could blow up to 270, 280. <laughs> <laughs> I ate what I wanted to and just kind of hung out. Um, just, you know, it's just kind of, you know, holes genetics, right? You know, we eat a lot. We used to drink a lot. And um, if, I didn't, if I didn't run a good amount and if I didn't watch what I was eating, um, I, I, I could get up pretty pretty quick and would carry it well <laughs> bro wait you wouldn't even know i mean he's a fucking house yeah, but like the, the way he carried it i i honestly thought now keep in mind i don't know anything about fucking football but i thought you would have had a hell of a fucking career as a defensive end i thought that's where i thought because yeah. what was it your sophomore year at usc you were at what d end yeah i was d end i was about 265 270 um, and it was kind of nice, you know, um, because my job responsibility was easy, right? I was either rushing the passer or just carrying the ball, like tackling the ball carrier. And then as far as off the football field, it was training table, eating whatever you wanted. Um, so it was just a lot more relaxed mindset. There was a lot of less stress and, um, you know, but as my career kind of progressed, I was moved back to outside linebacker, inside linebacker. And it was just a lot more instinctual there too. I made a lot more plays there and just was a lot more comfortable. So, but then again, that was losing weight and a lot more job responsibilities as well, which I had no problem with. What, what did you like more? Um, I like doing both. You know, they both had their, their pros to them. Um, obviously, I liked rushing a passer. Uh, but at the same time, as 265, you're going against some guys that are 315, 320. So it is a little bit of a 
physical mismatch. Um, but I would use my speed to help me with certain situations like that. To be honest with you, I liked playing middle linebacker because I liked being the quote unquote quarterback of the defense. I liked having that responsibility. I liked having the voice. I liked helping guys and, and lining them up. I loved getting the play call and then being able to tell our defense exactly what we were doing. Uh, it was a certain responsibility that at first I was nervous about, but eventually I just kind of came into my own and absolutely loved that. Did you have a, a leadership role from even when you were in high school? Because I know you were always like, you know, the man, right? All through, yeah. through, through school and college. So is that sort of leadership position always carried you through? I think so. And I, I think it's one of those things that you're, you're either you're born with you or not. Mm. Um, because I played with some awesome, awesome football players that just aren't really leaders. And they don't have a problem with that. And I didn't have a problem with them not having a problem with it. Because it's just who you are. And I don't, I'd rather a person be true to themselves instead of forcing themselves to kind of try to be a leader because mm -hmm. that's what's, I guess, expected out of them. But then it kind of comes off artificial, yeah. right? So it's just, it's kind of taken away from the person and player they are. Instead of just being themselves, you know, take care of what you have to. And let the people that are true leaders, let, let, them, let them do that. So, but as far as high school, college, pro, um, it increasingly got better, I guess you can say, throughout the years. Um, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about other people, how to, how to talk to different people. You know, you can't just throw the same message to everyone and expect it to stick instead of have individualized messages and kind of treat everyone a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. That, that going, going from Bergen Catholic to USC and having that huge change in just – socio socio dynamics right like just just that Huge. that's insane like you have the rich of the rich the poor of the poor mm -hmm. you know like what was what was that like like that that and especially on the other side of the fucking country I mean, we're jersey guys when the hell I, did we leave i know it was uh, a great experience it was a humbling experience um and at the same time it was, it was the best thing i ever did you know it made me grow up so much faster um, I came from a high school where I was the, the man, um, you know, playing football. You know, it was all eyes on me. And I traveled 3,000 miles away to the number one school at the time in football and quickly just become another guy. <laughs> you know, you become on a depth chart of four or five star guys, four or five guys deep. Like, it's not, you're no one special when you get out there. So you have to find a way to stick out right away, you know, or else you just kind of get lost in the shuffle. So I just went out there and I shut my mouth and I went to work because I wanted to play. I wanted to be successful. I didn't want to go 3,000 miles to sit on the bench, right? So it was just one of those things like I bought in right away. I listened to what Coach Carroll was saying. I watched Reggie Bush. I watched Lendell White. I watched Matt Liner. I watched the way they worked and just trying to emulate their and their craft. And I, I just, I loved watching the older successful guys and the kind of the way they went about their business, their work ethic, and just try to copy it. And then find my own ways to do things too. Like I wanted to be myself, but at the same time, they were, they were idols and mentors to look up to. And what were the key parts, you know, when you're saying you, you wanted to be yourself, who was that? What was the, what were those characteristics? Um, who was me? Uh, I wanted to have fun. 
I was always laid back. I was goofy off the field, but on the field, I was dead serious. And, um, you know, at the same time, you kind of want to, you, you go to a new school and no one wants to find anything out, doesn't know anything about you. So you kind of try to fit in quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it's the same thing I'm telling my son now. The quickest way to get accepted is to go kick ass. <laughs> like yeah these kids i tell them i'm like listen and I, I tell my wife this and, and you know kids are brutal man especially like we're going on different teams and these kids don't know each other and i said dude the quickest way to fit in is go hit a 300 foot home run off over the fence and they're gonna love you Weird. right that's just it, it's true and obviously good per- being a good person and being a good teammate is is super important but at the same time, if you're a badass athlete on your team, you're going to fit in right away. And that was kind of the approach I took to USC. Um, I came in with five linebackers my freshman year. But I went out there and I was just headhunting. And I had to make a name for myself quick. I wanted to fit in quickly. Um, and I wanted to make a name for myself. And they respected that. They respected that right away. And it kind of, once I got that, man, it, it was addictive. It was like, I wanted more. I wanted to be the best. And I just wanted to continue to help the team. Yeah, I remember when you went out to USC, uh, I, I, I was I was not, you know, I, I was always looking to see how you were doing out there, like your freshman, your sophomore year. And like it was when Facebook first came out. So no one, no, there were no pictures. There were no nothing. We had no way of keeping updated on anything. I had talked to DeFranco about it. Like, yeah, I think Kush is doing okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, the same as now. No, not at all. <laughs> not at and, all. And we'd, we'd look at pictures and you posted this one picture. I think it was one picture that you posted like your freshman or sophomore year of you just looking fucking beefy as shit, maybe next to Maoluga or something like that. I was like, oh, nice. Fucking Kush is, Kush is getting huge. But what did you do to, I don't know, to really stand out to these guys? Like, at what point did they know that this guy's the motherfucker? Like, this yeah. is the dude. Because you ended up starting in the Rose Bowl game, right? And that's when you went, went against, like, the best. Who'd you go against? Texas. Texas. What was it? Vince Young? Yeah, that was his name. <laughs> that was his name. Now, I ended up starting fourth game in my freshman year. Uh, wow. So it was a true freshman, right? So I was 17, turning 18 in January. And um, I just, I went out there every day and competed, man. I didn't back down from anything. And obviously whatever was thrown at me mentally, as far as playbook, assignments, whatever, I was able to grasp, learn in the classroom and then put it on the football field. Um, So it was just kind of, I checked all the boxes and then had an attitude on top of it. Like, I just, I just, from a, probably about my sophomore year in high school, there was no denying in my mind that I was going to play in the NFL. And I knew this was a necessary step to get there. So it was, it was a job for me. And I had a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun doing it. It was an unbelievable experience. But it was a stepping stone for me to get to where I needed to get. And I needed to kick ass and, and, and do it out there. Yeah, but I mean, you're, a, you're 18 years old. You did more than kick ass. What was, was there a moment where they were like, yo, Kush is our fucking starter? Or was it a guy went down and you filled in? No. I mean, there was a, 
redshirt senior playing ahead of me that just was kind of okay. Um, he had been there for a while and he was, it was, I won't want to say a liability, but you know, probably our weakest link on defense. And it was just, I was jumping to the front line in drills when no one wanted to cover Reggie Bush that I wanted to cover Reggie Bush. And I didn't give a shit if he embarrassed me or not mm. because I wanted to show that I didn't care. And I didn't have, I didn't have a problem if you asked me to cover their best linebacker in the game. And I think they appreciated that very early and knew that I was serious about competing. And that's the biggest thing that Pete Carroll preached was competition. Whether it was on the football field, whether it was ping pong in the locker room, he wanted guys that wanted to win at everything they did. And I love that message. And it's the same thing I'm telling my kids now. Like competition is going to separate you from the other kids. And it did. It helped me. And it, it caught their eye very early. And it was probably about the fifth game or sixth game. I led a team in tackles. I had a sack. And it was just like, all right, I got this. I haven't made it. I'll never tell myself I made it because no one's ever made it. But I can do this. And I want to continue to improve every game. So, so when you was a sophomore and you said that this, it switched in your head, was that was it already speculation, like people around you saying you're going to be the next big thing, or was it before you'd even sort of showing those signs? Um, you know, I think it was once colleges started recruiting, um, and there was my first offer at the end of my sophomore year. I, I Rutgers offered me a full scholarship, and it was kind of like, wow, you know, this this is coming true. Um, at what position? Uh, so I was like more of a strong safety then, yeah. but they offered me for linebacker. Okay. Uh, I was like 6'3", 205, and they knew I was going to grow. Um, I was playing a lot in the box, but I was also playing, you know, some kind of free safety in the middle of the field. And, um, that's, that was kind of the realization, like, okay, I'm, go I'm going to play college football somewhere. Now, and these next few years are going to be up to me where it is and, and kind of the level of what I get to, but, um, from right then was when I kind of honed in more on football because I was still playing baseball at the time too. Um, but I knew that football was going to be my sport. I forgot. I always forget you fucking played baseball. Oh yeah. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> and dude, you guys need to check out Kush's fucking Instagram to see his kids. His, who is it? Caden? Caden. Yeah. Crushes. The ball. <laughs> and, and then you see, I, I watched Caden hit an inside the park home run. Was it Caden that did that? Yeah. yeah. And Cush is a first base coach going, go, go, go. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Like intense <laughs> as fuck. There's two reasons on the first base coach. Two reasons. He's a ready batter, so I get the best angle to film. Right? So it's all about mechanics. And then it's to tell him exactly where the balls hit, where I expect him to get to. It's not like go <laughs> <laughs> it's like no you're you're going home Put your <laughs> running and if it's anything less than that don't look over at me <laughs> <laughs> i have a i have a dude i have a blast coaching it it's it's the best thing ever it really is but he's got you know he's he's very very similar to me so it's kind of like my dad like he coached my dad he coached my older brother and myself very different. Um, he was super hard on me, but he, you know, he always tells people like nothing bothered him. 
you know, nothing, I could never scare him. Nothing bothered him. So it was just like a different kind of psychology as far as coaching him. And I see a lot of that in Caden too, where it's just like, all right, cool. Like you're mad, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll hit better next time. You know, I think that's, I think that's learned from a very young age. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the temperament. So is, is he the crazy one? And then Kai's like kind of subdued. They're just, no, no, not at all. They're just, they're they're just crazy in, in their own ways. You know, like Kai is extremely competitive. Um, He's wrestled a lot. He's played baseball uh, and he's loves football. Like in his mind, he thinks he's Christian McCaffrey. Like don't, you can't tell him anything else. He's going to play running back in the NFL, Uh, you know, where Caden's leaning more towards baseball. And you just, I coached him. I coached him hard. I coached him similar, but in, in, in in a little different way, each other as well. Um, Kai is a little bit more sensitive. Um, He's got a little bit more, uh, of a social IQ. He understands other people better. You know, where Caden's like, dude, if I have to run over someone to get there, they shouldn't have been in that way. (laughs) Lacks empathy, let's say. (laughs) Where, you know, Kai's kind of like very socially accepted. Where Caden's like, nah, nah, I'm going to win and find out how to do it. So it's, it's a balance between the two. Are you steering the boys to what you think that they're good at, or are they kind of dictating themselves? Uh, no, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I want them to enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I want them to enjoy what they're doing, um, whatever the sport is, or, or whatever they want to do. I, I have no problem with it, but we're going to do something. You know, we're not. We're not going to just sit around and be inactive all the time. Um, and people ask me all the time, "Are you going to let them play football?" I say, yeah, but I'm going to tell them what comes with it. I'm going to tell them the consequences and the repercussions and, and physical and, and, and mental damage that could come with it. And then the choice is going to be up to them because I can't tell them they can't play football when I made my entire living off. I just sure. can't. It'd be very hypocritical of me, I think. Um, because at the same time, there was a lot of um, unbelievable experiences I had from the sport. A ton of them. I met a ton of great people. I've, 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 I've learned from amazing coaches and it's kind of shaped me into the person and father and husband I am today. So there's been a lot of great things that have come from it as well. But you know, to get back to your question, I'm kind of just letting them do it all right now, right? Figure out what they like, figure out what they're good at and figure out what they enjoy. And if they're dead serious about it, let's go for it. Sure. Let's go for it. Why not? <laughs> Are they, are they quite sort of disciplined themselves and they want to be training for things every day or are they sort of caught up with tech like all the other young kids nowadays? Um, it's a balance. It's a balance. They definitely will do a lot of things on their own, but there's certain times where it's like, all right, let's go outside and, and get away from this, right? Let's get off the iPad. Let's not watch two movies in a row. And now it's the challenging part of summer, right, with no school. So now it's like, all right, full-blown dad mode and let's – Let's keep these kids active and, and, and keep going and get outside more. So um, there, you definitely see it, though, you know, and I, I've seen it on plane rides at games and, and, and other places where, you know, parents would rather just hand an iPad to a kid and keep them busy instead of actually watching them or help them develop, you know, where sure. to me that's just complete opposite and, and, and counterproductive to um, a kid growing up, 
you know, learning social skills, learning sports or, or whatever it else that he wants to, to do. Um, it's a lot easier to, to hand over a, a piece of technology to keep them occupied, but you're just doing more damage than anything else, in my opinion. I hear you. I mean, it must be good for you too, because I get you're a high energy dude. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that you're knackered by the end of the day running after these kids. Yeah, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I have no problem with it. And I enjoy it. Like last night, we're, we're you know, a bunch of coaches and I are, are playing pickle at, at baseball practice, right? And we're standing on first, second, third and home, just throwing the ball, trying to get pick kids off and teach them about base running. But at the same time, we're enjoying it. Right. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great experience. How many kids did you run over playing pickle? No, I had to stay. I well, <laughs> it wasn't so much about running them over. It was more that I think I was responsible for two jackpots, which is throwing the ball clear over the fence. <laughs> uh, I was on second base. I threw it over the fence at first, and I threw it over the bet over the fence at third, which then allows all players that were out to come back in the game, which restarts everything. So <laughs> clearly, my fault. <laughs> a little excited out there so so you're too strong man that's what it is that arm is just going eh? <laughs> so you mentioned about some of the amazing people that you you met throughout your career who's some of the the standout coaches who really sort of sent you on your path well i guess you can start in high school right and uh we had a very interesting relationship but Fred Stengel and I, uh, we butted heads a lot. Um, but he got the most out of me all the time. He, he is an iconic coach in New Jersey. Um, like I knew when I went to Burton Catholic, that was going to be my coach all four years. And then after I left, he'd probably still be there. And he was older at the time too. Um, but he was a, a tough-nosed, old-school guy that just got the most out of me all the time. He, knew when I, he told me when I slacked off. He was never afraid to tell me when I wasn't playing well at all. And he called me out on all my bullshit, but it held me accountable. So that that was that kind of kickstarted uh, my football journey and kind of my mentality going forward. I felt like if I could play for him going forward, no matter what a coach told me after that, was nothing. It was nothing. And Ken Norton Jr., Pete Carroll, Gary Kubiak, Mike Vrabel. Johnny Holland, Bill O'Brien, you know, all those guys that, uh, Romeo Cornell, um, the list is kind of endless. And every coach brought their own kind of thing and their personality and, and their experience with them as well. Um, and I just named like six Super Bowl winning coaches um, that I've just been lucky enough to play for. Um, you know, Romeo Cornell coached Lawrence Taylor. So we were able to hear stories about like what Lawrence Taylor was like in meetings and in the, on the practice field and during game day. Um, so just being able to, to play under coaches like that, that have had the experience with other players was just an, an unbelievable experience. Well, tell that one story with Stangle when he says, Brian, I figured out what was wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> this is, this is what I mean right here. Like, yeah, I'm like, it's like junior year and, and I'm, I've been offered by everybody. Like I was having a great year. I was first team all state and it was probably the third to last game of the year. And we had a Friday walkthrough. So there's no pads, no helmets, no shoulder pads, kind of jog through feel good day before the game. 
And it was, I was kind of bullshitting. Like, I think we were playing someone that we knew we were going to beat. And I dropped one, maybe two balls in, in this walkthrough. And he says, Brian, you know, can I talk to you afterwards? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem, coach. So he lets everyone walk clear off the field. And he calls me to about the goal line. And he's like, yeah, I just want to talk to you real quick. And, you know, I think I, I, I figured it out what it is with you. And I'm like, yeah, coach, what's up, man? What is it? Like, how do I get better? He goes, uh, you're just not good anymore. <laughs> Turns his back. Doesn't look back and just walks it. And I just sat on the goal line for like a solid 10 minutes, like, what the fuck? <laughs> really? Like, am I not? Like, had me thinking. But this is what I mean, like, getting the most out of you. I played so hard the next I think we played Prams Cat the next day. Played so hard the next day. Three touchdowns, played awesome defensively. And he just like kind of gave me a smirk after the game. You know, not real acknowledgement, but like kind of like I did that on purpose. And that's what you have in you. And that's what you should bring to every game. But that's just the kind of coach he was. Right. And now looking back on it, like Mike's dying over there. And it, it's just it's hilarious. But at the same time, it helped. It definitely helped the experience. That's who he was as a coach, man. That's just some of the stuff he said was just awesome. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> I can because I I know Fred and just hearing some of the shit I mean and you have you know Brian Cushing a 17 year old kid who's no doubt uh, virtually an emotional cripple at this point in his fucking life and all he leans on is is football and you just say you know Brian you're just not good anymore <laughs> you're just not good anymore. that's all it is good luck <laughs> expresses himself through anger like you just set off a fucking bomb yes <laughs> he knew what he was doing man he knew what he was doing there's no doubt about that oh so great yeah. it's so awesome so then brian as as you've gone on i mean i know a little bit about you know you used to train incredibly hard so intense i mean both on the field and off yeah. And I'm sure it started in high school and then it got more and more, especially as you were spending time with Joel. Yeah. As you sort of getting older, did you continue this same intensity or did you start doing things a little bit smarter towards the end? I did. I did continue. And I think that's why eventually, <laughs> I think that's what eventually, honestly, um, ended my playing career. Right. Was that I trained so hard all the time and it was all, now looking back on it, a lot of it was ego whether it was on the field or off the field, I felt like I was either getting better or worse every single day. And there was no in between. Mm -hmm. And whether it was a practice rep or in the weight room, if someone did more than me or if a player got the best out of me in the drill, I had to then beat him twice. Mm -hmm. And it worked for a long time. Um, but at the same time, I think it was eventually what cut my career short, if you want to call a nine-year career short, which I think I probably could have played maybe two, three more years. Um, but I was just so physically and mentally burnt out by the end from having that mindset every single day. Sure. Instead of learning how to just reel it back sometimes. And I just couldn't understand guys that were good players in practice that would get shown up, embarrassed, or beat 
and have no emotion afterwards. Like it didn't bother them. Um, and it bothered me that it didn't bother them. Mm. Right. So that's just, it was one of those things that looking back, could I have done some things differently or, or trained smarter or not practice that hard or play through certain injuries? Sure. But at the same time, I'm kind of proud the way I did it because that, that, that was who I was. And I never wanted to put something on the field that wasn't me. Sure. I mean, it's your biggest blessing and probably your biggest curse. I mean, 100%. nine years in the NFL is, is already amazing considering what's the average career, two, three years. If that, yeah. If that, right. No, so I, you know, I'm, I'm Johnny fucking injury prevention and, and super, super conservative with stuff. I, I've been coaching guys for a while now with strength conditioning and shit. And, and I've seen a lot of different personalities and a lot of different people. And <clears throat> there's some motherfuckers who are just tough and resilient and some motherfuckers who aren't. And I've seen guys genuinely think that they need a 405 bench press in order to be good offensive linemen in the NFL and then have elbows, take bad elbows, take them out of the fucking league. Like shocker. Right. That being said, I don't think that was it for you. I genuinely don't. Um, did you lift yourself out of the league? No. Did you outwork yourself out of the league? I don't think so. I, yeah. I don't think that was it. I honestly God, I think it was there were there were two things that I evaluated that really fuck you. Um, one were the two that that piece of shit cocksucker that tackled you from behind and tore your ACL. I don't even know his I forget his fucking name. I went back. Uh, it, Facebook memory reminded me saying like, <laughs> fuck you, you asshole. And it said his name. I forget what his name was, but that's what tore your ACL. Yeah. Uh, that sets you back. And then you rehab your ACL only to get a helmet to your knee from a running back, which I don't blame the running back because how else is he supposed to tackle Brian Cushing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, but two back, two knee injuries that are season ending. Yeah. That sets you back, not just physiologically, but psychologically. 100%. Mike. So that changes everything. And because of that, because of those two injuries, lateral, your ability to perceive information, adjust, and move laterally was fucked. It was. You're, so, you are 100% right. And I will be the first person to admit, after the second knee injury, I was not the same player again. I was not. Um. And it took me to stop playing to admit that. That being said, I don't think that that was something that couldn't be gotten back. However, people underestimate the impacts that physical trauma have on you psychologically and how long it actually takes for the full rehab to occur. Yeah. Um, just because you're cleared Right, you have a six-month ACL rehab, an eight-month ACL rehab, and you're cleared to run. But you've been injured for eight months up until this point. Your brain still needs to process that fucking information. No doubt. And no one, so you still need to respond to stimuli in a responsive manner. Like that's, and people don't do it, and they're like, "Oh, well, he's lost a step." No shit. Give his brain a chance to fucking process, and he'll yeah. get it back. You know what's crazy is in 2013, after I tore my ACL, if you even watch. We played the Chargers on uh, Monday Night Football, the first game of the year. 
if you watch that game and you watch me particularly, the first and second half of the game are completely two different players. I was so tentative and hesitant in the first half and was just anticipating getting hit for the first time again that I think it happened somewhere later in the second quarter that it took me into the second half and I, and I felt and looked like myself again. And it goes back even before that. And you're talking about the psychological damage it could have. I remember walking around my house and Caden was just started to crawl. And anytime he got near my leg, I mean, we're talking about a baby near my leg. I would instantly step back and kind of have like a, a cold sweat kind of feeling that I was so hesitant to even let my son get near my leg, not just my knee, my leg in general. So then it's like, you're saying you're cleared to run. That's great. That's not clear to play football, full contact sport. That's just completely unpredictable about who can fall into you at any time. So absolutely physically you're back. And that's all depending on kind of your rehab program and how you came back. But, you know, it takes time to gain that, that, that confidence again, to be your old self and to be able to rely on your body again. I think, I think the statistics are right now, you're not out of the woods for two years, two years post ACL uh, surgery. Right. You're, you're not, you're not out of the clear for two years until it's like, okay, risk factors dropped because yeah. the physical aspect. And then I, I tell people all the time, how long were you injured for? Okay. Give you that much time of mm -hmm. being healthy before the psychological aspect, before like you're not favoring one side or another, right. you know? I mean, I I've had kids with ACL rehabs that, you take their brace off and they start limping. You put the brace on and the limp goes away. What yeah. the fuck? But the factor, mm -hmm. right? That's what, that's their safety zone right there. Mm -hmm. And that's what they become now adapted and used to. And once it comes off again, something you've never worn in your life before this, then they're all of a sudden uncomfortable again. I remember, I remember in rehab, lining up to squat, and thinking subconsciously, my legs are, my feet are completely straight. They're in the exact same spot. And going down in my squat pattern, coming back up and looking up. And my left foot was six inches in front of my right. <laughs> but in my brain, I thought 100% my toes are in line. There's just so much more to it than just, oh, my knees hurt. Let's get it fixed. I'm good to go. Changes the wiring of everything. Right? And, and when you... And, and when you see dumb players that are completely like I, I, ignorant players, they just don't know anything. They come back real quick because, and it, because they don't know any better. Whereas guys that are intuitive with their body and they, they know, Hey, my glutes not firing or this or that. It's almost like paralysis by analysis. It's like in some circumstances, the more, you know, the worse off you are. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Kind of like, it reminds me of, uh, oh gosh, what was the uh, the metric we used to measure like CNS or, or any Omega other? wave. Yes, omega wave. We would do that and I would not want to know the results till after the game. Don't tell me where I'm at until after the game because honestly, mm -hmm. it's going to hurt me more than help me right now, mm -hmm. right? 
because it's like, I feel good. I'm ready to go. Don't tell me I'm actually not because that's what I'm going to be thinking about for four quarters now. Yep. Right. Now, after the game, you told me, yeah, you know what? You're actually in the red and it says you slept six hours and your REM sleep was 13 minutes. Well, I played great. So who gives a shit? <laughs> right. I'm so glad to hear you say that because so many people now are obsessed with they won't do certain things because their sleep score is not good and all this. And I get it longitudinally and for normal general population, sure. But pro athletes, you have to play. Like yeah. it don't matter if you if you've been sick for two days and you ain't slept. If the lights go on, you better show up. And yeah. if you don't, then you're gone. You know, and that's basically it. And I think that's why you know a, a lot of. Why training is so important? Because there's going to be situations where you're not 100%, but you got to dive into that reserve tank and find it within yourself. Right. Right? Because right. like you're saying, you're, you're, you're paid to play. That's it. You right. got to get out there. You got to get and out there. You got to train. You got to compete. And it's such a sensitive topic for people because we don't like uncertainty as humans, right? So, I mean, evolutionarily, let's say, you know, the house on fire – but your sleep score is not that good. I mean, right. it ain't going to bother you at all. It doesn't matter if you've even got a broken leg. You're going to manage yourself out of it, you know, yeah. especially if the invite, if the, the the situational stress around you is high enough, right. you should be able to turn it on. You don't want to be start putting different factors in. And I always say this to all my athletes too, like, yeah, like nutrition's important and your routines are important, but also at the same time, you need to know that they don't matter. No. Really comes down to it. It don't matter. You got to fucking go. Yeah. you know absolutely absolutely they complement you know your your finished product but they're not everything right right for one day it don't fucking matter no the sleep the sleep score hey i got a shitty night's sleep last night all right well i'll give a fuck it's time to throw down today and you're there but the and this is where the misinterpretation of of metrics of data actually occurs is the whole point of the sleep score is so you have an idea of how you're doing throughout the month, throughout right. the week, right? right? Like and and how we can improve, what actually makes us better. It's not an indicator. The HRV to me is not yep. an indicator of how you're gonna do today because I've had guys with rotten HRV scores, rotten performance scores, PR. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's just a, all this is is an indication of what you've done, everything leading up to today. And hey, we could approve upon that. However, it's no indication of what the fuck today is. No. And you know, Mike, it's, it's, I think what it is too, and we, with the Texans, previous two years I worked there, was, you know, we got so analytical with certain things and especially the GPS and the acute chronics and stuff. And eventually I was just like, you know what? Honestly, as a former pro athlete and now as a coach, I'm going to tell you that pro athletes generally are outliers themselves. So a lot of the time, the data is not going to match up with the player themselves. Because like we're talking about, when the situation is heightened and it's a, it's a big time um, to shine, they're going to figure it out and come through. Like they have their entire life and that's why they're on the stage right here. Right. So yeah, you want players that are going to rise through adversity. I mean, imagine you're down on points. You've had the worst game of your life. And it looks like there's all hope lost. You want the guys that are going to stand up and still believe that they're able to turn the thing around. Exactly. It's just a mindset. Exactly. It's, it's the top of the top guys. And they, they've gotten there for a reason. It wasn't by mistake. Because it's shitty situations they've been in and gotten through. 
I, I love that you said the NFL players, the professional athletes are outliers themselves because you're fucking absolutely right. We had on a nutritionist uh, with, with the Giants prior to this, and we actually just released the episode today where we were talking about anthropometrics and size meeting the amount of muscle that someone is capable of putting on and this and that. And I said, he said, well, there are outliers here and there. I said, but that's all you fucking deal with. Exactly. That's all you deal with are the outliers. So you're going to tell me just because this guy has skinny ankles, his hormone panel could be through the roof. Now, all of a sudden, the skinny ankle guy is putting on 20 extra pounds of muscle than you had anticipated by these fucking calculations. Right. Yeah. And having no problem carrying it. No, and optimally. You right. know what I mean? Like, exactly. like we, we, have, we have these ideas and we would love for it to be black and white. And there is a black and white answer. We just right. don't fucking know it. I know. I, I mean, I, and I've seen it firsthand. You know, I, I've seen star receivers um, that have a collarbone issue and don't do any upper body lifting for two weeks, right? And it's, it's oh my gosh, you know, this guy's strength is going to fall off. He's not going to be able to get off a press. How's he going to reach overhead and catch the ball? Well, guess what? Because <laughs> he's the best receiver in the league. Yep. And if you read between lines, I think you know who I'm talking about and you can. Um, but he's going to find a way. That's what the best of the best athletes do. They find a way every time. So I'm all for it, you know, and we talk about injury prevention and I think there's a lot of good data out there, but at the same time, the game needs to be played and the best players are going to step up mm -hmm. when it matters. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, the more I do, the more I learn, the more it's of me just staying the fuck out of your way. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Hey, does this make you happy? Do you feel good? Get the fuck out there. Right. Exactly. Yep. Let the athletes be athletes. Let them do what they're, what they were, they're intended to do. hundred percent. hundred percent. Cause if nothing's bothering them, don't tell them something that's going to screw them up. <laughs> Don't tell them something's going to bother them. I'm all for that. Yeah. These fucking, fucking word salad motherfuckers just giving you absolutely all the information that they ever learned in their exercise physiology class yes. and scare the fucking shit out of you. Exactly. Exactly. So now looking back and all the shit we talked about, what would you do differently from a training perspective? Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, obviously I would, uh, as we, my wife and I had our kids, um, I kind of, I had tended to stay in Houston a lot longer in the off season, you know, so it was always kind of a struggle finding a trainer down here or someone that I can rely on. I would have liked to get home more often, um, be able to train with you, be able to train with Joe and guys that I was familiar with that knew me. And kind of let me be me instead of bounce from trainer to trainer to trainer and all over the place and never kind of really feeling comfortable. But, you know, as far as, you know, um, intensity or weights or any of that, I'm not sure I would have really trained that. I think I just would have been more, I would have focused more on, especially the older I got, running mechanics, change of direction, agility, things that would have helped me on the field directly a lot more. Um, maybe lost a little bit of weight 
Um, you know, because the older I got, it was kind of more of like he's a two-down linebacker instead of a three-down linebacker. So uh, that was one thing that bothered me was my last year. I only played first and second down. Actually drove me absolutely insane um, because it was one of those things I never wanted to come off the field. But at the same time, we had drafted a linebacker in the second round uh, who was an athletic linebacker, right? So they kind of – that was his role. Um, there's, there's probably some things I, I would have uh, done differently now looking at it. Um, but at the same time, nothing that's really – driven me too crazy that, you know, I wish 100% I did different. What about back in the day, favorite DeFranco memory? There's so many, Mike. I know. <laughs> favorite memory? I mean, we're talking about Odyssey. We're talking about the original warehouse, then the second warehouse. Uh, By the way, did you see we had Joe on? Yes. Did you watch that podcast? Not yet, no. Oh, bro, I thought you would have listened to it for sure. I have not yet. I Honestly, my favorite memories are probably not even the training. It's probably like the pre and post training of just hanging out in the gym and the conversations and like who we saw there. Like we had so many good, hardworking, awesome guys that would come through there. Um, Just a, like... It was just, it was awesome. It was like my favorite place to go. <laughs> how, how old was you when you started? What's that? How old was you when you started with Joe? Uh, I think my junior year of high school. Okay. I had just, my sophomore year, I had like just signed like a six training session package at Parisi's. And Ben Tony came up to me and was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he had found out about that he's like are you we just we just started at um odyssey and like we're training guys over there and i was like all right well i think i went to the priest like three times and then i kind of headed over to odyssey and never looked back after that who were you who were you closer with back then was it ben or joe well ben was coaching ah. so you know i was able to ben and dave were coaching so ben was my linebacker coach three years and Dave was our strength coach. And um, so all three of them I was very close with. Originally, though, I was uh, very close with Ben and, and Dave just because of familiarity with the football program. Oh, yeah, I, I actually never knew how, how you came. And, and then, okay, they, they were the coaches at Bergen Catholic. I forgot, yes. ben, I forgot ben was over there. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's a whole other story with Ben Tonin as your linebacker coach. <laughs> you can only imagine that. Yo, he was a dirty linebacker, right? He was. He was. He was a good player. He was a good player. Our drills were insane. Like, it was just, <laughs> just, the, just the craziest drills you can imagine. That's what was going down at Bergen Catholic linebacker. <laughs> Practice. So, so you got coached by former players, and you got coached by what I'm sure you would consider some really good strength coaches. Mm -hmm. And then, and you got coached by great NFL coaches, positional coaches. You became a strength coach. And then you also became a positional coach. Right. What did you do differently than what you were taught? Or were you a summation of all the stuff you did and said, yeah. hey, I'm taking everything from here? Or you're like, I don't like what this guy did. And I'm, what, what, what was your thought process? How yeah, I think it was a combination of the things that I did like and, and the ways that, um, 
coaches were able to uh, be transparent and relate to the players. Um, I shared a lot of previous experiences with the guys and kind of what worked with me. Um, but at the same time, I was very laid back. Um, and if guys wanted help or wanted coaching, they would come to me. I wasn't, I didn't appreciate people that were kind of overbearing and, and, and throwing the information at people that didn't want it. So if you had questions about training, about playing linebacker or just coaching in general or anything that I see, uh, guys would reach out to me. And that's when we kind of sit down and, and just have a real honest conversation. Um, you know, that was, that was the biggest thing that uh, in coaching, I think helped was people, players that, were comfortable with coaches and felt like they could trust them. Um, that's, that's fucking tough though, because at the end of the day, like you want what's best for your players, but you still work for the organization. I do. But at the same time, I was, I don't want to say it was a hobby, um, but it wasn't something I really needed. Yeah. So I was there for the betterment of the players and the team. I wasn't a coach that was going to run upstairs and say, Hey, you know, this, this guy just told me this, like that, that, that brought nothing to me. That did nothing for me. Um, I wanted to be around players that trusted me and knew that I wanted the best for them. Um, that was that was the most important thing for me. And uh, in the NFL, it's tough. In the NFL, it's tough because uh, there's a lot of disconnect between players and coaches. Yeah, uh, I mean, your intentions are pure in that way. And also because of the fact, like you said, you didn't need the job. Mm -hmm. You're not needing that salary every month and i mean that's also where i think a lot of the the problems come from these guys right it's like they want to do the best but at the same time they need to make sure they're also saving their ass yes. so they're following protocol and absolutely you know absolutely so they're you know they're secure yeah i get that i get that but at the same time you got to be a good person too right like there, there's of course i need to be drawn somewhere where it's like no you know what i'm actually not going to comply with that and stand up for this person yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 a slippery slope. It really is. That's it really, really tough. Because yeah. I, I, I know I, I've had I've had opportunities to work in a coaching area. And I mean when you're dealing with these guys, like they they their livelihoods depend on you, but now your livelihoods depend on them and then the people up and you report to them. Exactly. And I'm I'm a players guy. Like yeah. I want what's best for my player, but if the player's a jerk off, he needs to get in fucking line at the same time. Sure but is. he needs to know that I want him to get in line for him. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, the, and that's that's so tough to convey. Yeah, there's so many younger guys I I tried having that conversation with too. Right? It's like, dude, I'm not doing this for me. And I would tell guys all the time, I've had my career. I'm good, man. I had my career. This is about you. And that's, this is about you understanding the situation you are in and the opportunity that you have, mm. right? Because you're 21, 22 years old right now and think it's all fun and games. But when you're out of the league in a year and have no idea what to do for the rest of your life, you're going to be thinking about the opportunity that you did have and what you could have done differently, mm. right? It's just, you see it too often. Super talented guys that just always say, well, next year, well, next year, well, next year. Well, when there is no more next year, you're going to wish that last year you actually did it. Yeah. You know, but a lot of it's just too much for certain guys to handle, man. 
there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of psychological and, and, and physical challenges that go into playing professional sports. The, the, the psychological man, like all these guys, all of them. Uh, remember Miles Austin? Yep. When he first came back, people asked him, one of the guys asked him, what's the difference between Mammoth special teams and Cowboys special teams? He says, you know, when you play and like that one dude fucking hits you really hard. There's one of those guys on every team. That's everyone in the NFL. Absolutely. That's, that's every single hit. And the bottom line is everyone is a Miles Austin that really just hasn't gotten a chance. Or so so the physical physical capabilities are there for everyone. That's why they're there. It's yeah. the psychological. No doubt. It's, it's their ability to persevere and, yeah. and to be resilient mentally to keep going and do the things that they're supposed to do that might not be comfortable, but yeah. they just got to do it. I remember uh, Gary Kubiak telling us a story one time about like our owner and him having a conversation was like, uh, you know, you know, we got the Jaguars this week and well, they're three and five and we're seven and one. So we'll definitely win. Right. And coach was just like, you know, uh, they're paid too. <laughs> their players are paid too. And that's the thing is like every single week, if you're not on top of your game, you see it all the time in pro sports. You see a team that hasn't won a game all year beat an undefeated team because it's not who's better. It's who makes the less mistakes, the least amount of mistakes. Because the margin of error is so small in professional sports that anyone could beat anyone, anybody on any given day. It's like my, Caden asked me all the time, like, how did the Yankees lose to the Orioles? Because like, they – they got good players too, man, that want to win and want to survive and continue to play in the MLB. You know, it's, it's important to them. Kush, who is the, who's the most psychologically impressive person that you come across throughout your career? And that could be player or coach. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's tough. You know, I think it started at a younger age with uh, probably Pete Carroll. Um, you know, it, because he's the same exact person he's always been. And now I think he's the oldest coach in the NFL. Mm -hmm. and you would never know it. Um, because his just work ethic, his energy are just so infectious and just so constant all the time. Uh, he's just a guy that's, that's, that's just genuine too. Like what you see is exactly who he is. Right. And it's just, it, it, it feeds on the team so much that everyone starts to emulate him a little bit too. Um, and it only makes everybody better around him. That was the guy from a young age. I, I noticed that it was like, whoa, you kind of got to be on your shit because he is every single day and he expects that out of you. And it just, it, it just, raises the level of everyone's awareness, competition, talent that much more. I, I, I think he's, he would probably be my number one. And he's done it at all levels too. Yeah. Thing too, right? College, NFL, national championships, Super Bowls. He's done it all. He's done it all. So you were on, you weren't on a national championship team, but you were in, were you were in the Rose Bowl. You were, or you were in the national championship game, runner-up. Um, your senior year, you guys were the number one team in the country and just fucking blew it against one team. 
Who, yeah. who was who was the one loss? Oregon State. Oregon State. Like, and you had that one fucking running back that he just dragged everyone through the fucking end zone. Yes. Um. Then you know, I'm like I like bringing up these scars, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you were also a part of the number one defense in the NFL at yeah. one point. Yeah. And you guys were a playoff team, and you were contenders to potentially go to the Super Bowl at one point, right? Right. Of all these teams, you've been a part winning teams. Who's who's the biggest freak of them all? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. I think probably the biggest freak athlete um, that I've played with, DeAndre Hopkins. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. DeAndre could put a weight down and never lift again and lead the league in touchdowns and yards next year. Yeah. Right? It's just so frustrating because you wish you could have that kind of ability. Um. And probably, you know, he does. He doesn't. He still trains, but it's like he almost doesn't have to. I mean, his catch radius, his speed, his separation, just all that is just off the charts, and it's just so natural. So he's he's probably the number one. Him, Jadavian Clowney's up there. Cl- Clowney's a freak. Freak show. I remember one story. Like I think we were just deadlifting, messing around. Had over 500, 500 pounds in the bar from the floor and uh, going at it, like warm-up sets, everything. Strength coach calling Clowney out. You know, he never deadlifts. He never does that. Bends down, picks it up like it's 135. And had not deadlifted anything before that. Like had not warmed up or anything. Walked up right to it. And says, is this what you want? While he's holding it midair. And then just drops it and walked off. Just absolutely, like, this is what you run into in the NFL. It's just guys like that who, no matter what they do, they're going to be good. No matter what it is, they're, they'll, like we said, find a way. That, those are those kind of guys. So, it's crazy. So, you ended up coaching right after you played. Did you take a year off? I took one year off, yeah. So, how many of those guys were returning that you played with? Oh, a lot. So that was an interesting dynamic right there. Yeah. What what was that like? Uh, initially, it was, I don't want to say a, a, a little awkward, right? Um, but as time went on, it was, that's, that's what played a lot into like the player coach trust too, was that they trusted me originally as a player and then as a coach to, you know, confide with me with certain things that like they needed to get off their chest or certain things that were bothering him that knew I wouldn't relay it upstairs or, or anything like that. Um, it was it was a smoother transition than I thought. Uh, originally, I was I was a little apprehensive and, and worried about how I would kind of fit in and would I ever be accepted as a, as a coach or just looked at it as a player the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but eventually, it got to that point. And it was uh, it, it was it was a lot smoother than I had anticipated. So as a coach, as a player, been a part of good teams and bad, what's, why, why do you have bad teams? What's, what's the difference? Um, there's a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest thing which makes, which separates a good from a bad team and a, and a good team from a great team is that guys that want to win for each other. 
and then absolutely love playing together. Because I think when it's important to the guys to hold each other accountable and play for the guy next to you and enjoy coming to practice and enjoy the shitty days and be able to get through the tough practices, to be able to win with guys that you truly enjoy doing it with makes the experience that much better. I remember 2011 was probably our best team. And I remember we lost to uh, Baltimore in the playoffs in Baltimore. And there was just such a feeling in the locker room afterwards of like, we weren't even sad that we lost. It was sad that we weren't going to still hang out every single day together. Like we were that close and enjoyed each other that much. And that's what I think's what really makes good teams great is the enjoyment of playing together, but also wanting to win for each other. So in that experience then, was that something that the coach created that culture to it? Yeah, absolutely. He definitely it? added yeah. to it. He right. definitely added to it. Because um, you want to play for the coach too. That's so important, right? Like this right. is the guy that's talking to you every single day. This is the figurehead of your team. Mm. You don't want him getting all the credit when you can't stand the guy. Right. Right? But when he's a good, genuine, honest guy, winning is, is okay because – he deserves it. He deserves it. And we love doing it for him. At the same time, we, we love doing it collectively all together. So it's definitely, that's a huge part of it. Um, but then again, uh, there's some good teams I know that have won in spite of a coach. Mm -hmm. But that, sometimes that, they rally oh, together, right? Yes. Sometimes it's like to fuck, like, fuck you. Exactly. Yeah. That takes a strong locker room to be able to get that done, though. Right. That's, and some serious talent. Yeah. <laughs> so at SC, you had a great coach and you mm -hmm. had, I mean, I'd argue a fucking professional football team your fucking senior year. Right. Right. I, you guys were incredible. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite memory from those guys? If, I mean, I could only imagine the camaraderie. Yeah. There, right. Yeah. Like you, you had three, well, not three first round draft picks, but pretty much three first round fucking linebackers. Yeah. Right, like you, Maluga, and Matthews. Yeah. I, what I I remember some of the fucking stories you telling me, but you tell some appropriate stories. And yeah. what what's your favorite one? Um, it's not you know I think people it's 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 more the stuff that's just kind of off the field. It's the experiences together, um, and what separates college um, so much from the pros is. Guys in college don't have families, right? So they're not they're not running home to you know go check on see how everyone's doing or spending time with them. It's you're so much closer in college because you're always together. Yeah. Before practice, during practice, and then after practice, like all right, where are we going to eat tonight? It's just those experiences of, of always being together um, that make college that makes college so unique um, and makes the experience so enjoyable and and why you're so close the entire time. I mean. I was an out-of-state kid, so going home with Clay or, or, or Sanchez on the weekends, um, seeing where they grew up, you know, staying there for the weekend, that, that's what was special to me in college, um, was just being able to kind of see where these guys were from and be able to hang out with them all the time. That's awesome. Dude, we've had you on now for well over an hour. We've only yeah. been recording an hour. Let's, let's, get, let's get you off. Brooker, you got anything else? I would love to chat all day long, but I know you're a busy man. <laughs> so with them kids, all day, but it's all good, man. So 
I'll tell you what, one, one quick one to finish. You said before we were recording that you have two hours for yourself yes. each day. Yeah. What do you do in those two hours? I'm either, I'm either working out in the weight room or I'm, I'm at jiu-jitsu. Right. So how many days a week are you doing each? Working out probably four and right. jiu-jitsu two, maybe three. Cool. Two, maybe three. Just something that kind of keep me busy. Um, jiu-jitsu has been one of those things that have, has transitioned me out of football, but still kind of feeds a lot of my inner cravings, I guess you can say. And cool. the demons. Yeah, I um, still get text messages about how he beats beats people up. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very healthy and therapeutic for me. <laughs> so most, most people golf. I I I go to jiu-jitsu. I go to strangle people. <laughs> <laughs> what are, What are you doing for your lifting now? Um, very uh, what do you, what do you say? Athletic bodybuilding. Oh, nice. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've just, I've kind of split my days now. It's, it's chest, it's legs, it's shoulders and arms. And then Saturday, every Saturday's every, every Saturday's backs. So we're going, we're going back on Saturdays. Now, when you do, when you do back, do you do deadlifts on your back day or? I ah, I do. When'd you start that? About a year ago. About a year ago. Yeah. What is that? Like, are you doing like a Mike O'Hearn thing? Yes. Yeah. Pretty close. Pretty you're, close. You're buddies with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Fucking hell. So, yeah, it's been good, you know, and it, it's it's helped me. Obviously, I'm still lifting for sport. Um, so there's certain exercises that I'll throw in as well, specifically for jujitsu. Um, but at the same time, you know, just obviously not getting hurt and staying strong are the, the two biggest things right now. Not getting how, hurt in jujitsu. That ain't happening. Yeah. yeah. How gassed were you when you first started jujitsu? Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the gi. That was the worst part. Right. I was putting the gi on like a horse blanket with a, with a rope tied around your waist too. And yeah. then our, our, our professor would turn the heat up and I took one private and then they started throwing me in the competition class. So it was like, I had to, I had to learn quick. I had to learn quick, but it was the best way. They choked the fuck out of you, didn't they? <laughs> and then we'll tell you exactly how they did it, right? Like, oh, by the way, you know, this is how I did that. And it's like, fuck you. I'm <laughs> being so polite. You just, I just passed out. <laughs> but uh, it's been an awesome experience, man. It's, it's very similar to, I still get that, that locker room kind of mentality and vibe there. You know, a lot of guys that are professionals at it, some guys that do it for a hobby. So you kind of get a great mix of people coming in there that are all walks and, and of life uh, that come in and you know kind of just share the experience with each other. It's been awesome. We've it's helped to a lot with post football, for sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I can imagine, especially the skill mastery concept. I mean, it's like perfect for your brain to just delve into, right? So Exactly. We got two last Instagram questions. One is when are you going to get in the cage? And the second one is how did you get your forearms so big? They are the two, they were the last two questions. Yes. Um, when I'm going to get into the cage and start competing, hopefully soon, hopefully soon. I know we had talked a little bit previously about this, but I have to kind of, I have to dive in a little bit more full speed, more than, than two, three times a week. Uh, I have to find some more time to train 
and then I'll, I'll take it into consideration. And as far as forearms, um, you know, you can make a joke, but you know, both sides look pretty symmetrical to me. So there's, there's one option. (laughs) (laughs) There goes that joke. I don't know, man. It's kind of been one of those things ever since if you go back and look at pictures of like 12, 13 years old, I wouldn't say they are the size they are now, but uh, definitely bigger. Um, I was huge on grip strength all throughout my career. Um, anytime you got in kind of some compro- compromised situations where all you can grab was a jersey and needed to get a guy down, um, there was something at any kind of upper body day I always trained and uh, I trained a lot. And now, especially with jujitsu, grip's more important than ever. Mm. So that's one of those things I've been emphasizing a lot in my training. Oh, boom shakalaka. Oh, no, we haven't been recording. Come on. I'm just totally fucking kidding. (laughs) We got the nullification (laughs) at the beginning. I just wanted to see Kush say, I'm not fucking doing this again. That was smooth. (laughs) You sold that well. <laughs> All right, we're fucking done. Let me let me let me end this shit. No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs>